I am Arun Ben-Meir, and this is On the Issues. My guest today is Wahiguru Pal Singh Sidhu, a professor at the Center for Global Affairs at New York University. He is also a non-resident Syrian fellow with the Brookings. He is senior fellow at the New York University Center for International Cooperation. His research focuses on India's evolving a grand strategy, the role of India and other emerging powers in the global order, addressing nuclear weapon challenges and security, and development challenges in fragile states. It is my pleasure to have you with me this morning. Delighted. And uh, thank you again for taking the time. Delighted to be here. So, what, given your background and uh, research in the area of nuclear weapons and uh, proliferation of nuclear weapons, I thought maybe we start with what Mr. Trump said at the General Assembly in connection with Iran, mm -hmm. in, in indicating that he would be revisiting the Iran deal with the intention of possibly nullifying it, right. calling it the, the most disastrous deal that the United States has ever made. Right. What's your take on this? And we can take it from there. Right. I'll, I'll back up a little bit. Yeah. And if you look at it historically, there have been two ways that uh, the U.S. in particular, but the international community have tried to deal with the challenge of proliferation. Yeah. One is through diplomacy and the other is through a combination of sanctions and military uh, options. History tells us that all the diplomatic approaches have succeeded, whereas the military ones uh, have uh, been disastrous, even if they might have succeeded on the non-proliferation front. So if you look at diplomacy vis-a-vis -vis South Africa, uh, Kazakhstan, Ukraine, all of which, by the way, had nuclear weapons and gave them up uh, through a means of diplomacy, uh, and including Libya, in, including in Libya, indeed, yeah. including yeah. Libya. Yeah. And I would put the Iran deal in that category. Yeah. Then let's look at the ones where they tried to disarm them uh, militarily, Iraq. Now, the interesting thing there is it was actually the pressure of sanctions combined with the UN uh, operations, UNSCOM and UNMOVIC, right. which disarmed Iran, Iraq. But uh, the U.S. still went to war, and that was disastrous in many ways. But as a matter of fact, they did not find any traces of a nuclear Exactly, program. exactly. I mean, this is a war that was a pretext. Precisely. Uh, presumably, Saddam Hussein has his advanced uh, nuclear program, right. and they went to destroy it, but in fact, there wasn't any. Right. So you are absolutely right. Diplomacy did work. Right. Confrontation, militarily speaking, did not work. Right. But given the situation, as you, well, you're from India, and you know the, uh, both the Pakistani and Indian mm -hmm. effort to develop a nuclear weapon, and finally they both acquired it. Mm -hmm. What's your take on that? You know, here the United States basically imposed some sanctions for a period of time right. when it was lifted. Right. But there was an advantage, in my view, right. there was an advantage to the fact that eventually India and Pakistan did acquire nuclear weapons. I see the advantage in the fact that both countries, as a matter of fact, since then, right. did not engage in any conventional conflict over Kashmir. Uh, well, there was Kargil, but, but that's one, you know, which was there in 1999. But, but just before that, I just yeah. want to come back to yeah. the diplomacy yeah. versus, right, uh, right, right. you know, the military option. Yes. 
and and I'll come back to uh, South Asia in a bit. Uh, I would argue that the situation that we find ourselves now in North Korea is precisely because diplomacy wasn't given enough of a chance and it failed. Uh, there was an opportunity. I think there was an uh, inflection point when uh, President George W. Bush took over, but he did not. He chose, for whatever reason, not to follow the Clinton administration's diplomatic approach vis-a-vis -vis North Korea, and that's when the famous axis of evil speech, uh, yeah. and that's when you see North Korea ratcheting up its program. So the point I'm making is, I think the Iran nuclear deal, uh, number one, is working. Uh, historically, number two, we've seen diplomacy is effective more than military operations. And uh, number three, there is no real alternative to the Iran nuclear deal. No, probably, we're going to come back to that. You're probably right. I mean, you're right. But going back to North Korea, in your reviewing uh, the process, negotiations, otherwise going back now, mm -hmm. three administrations, 25 mm -hmm. years for that matter, mm -hmm. since the Bush, and then uh, um, starting with, with actually with the Clinton, Bush, right. and, and Obama. From what I gathered, North Korea was from day one determined to acquire nuclear weapons. They enter into various negotiations, mm -hmm. but there's enough evidence to suggest right. they have violated right. these agreements right. because of one underlying major factor. They continue to feel vulnerable because the United States, others, basically for them, in my view, acquiring nuclear weapon was a safety net. That right. is the only way they can guarantee their, their political survival as right. such. Right. And, and um, because of the United States, your, your diplomacy did work for a while, but the United States really never relinquished publicly, saying publicly that we are no longer going to seek regime change in North Korea. Right. So right. the North Korean always, even right. though they were right. negotiating, right. have achieved some interim agreement, they continue to feel vulnerable. Right. And I see what's happening today is a continuing of that mindset, that thinking. Right, right. So, so, go ahead. Yeah. I, I, I would argue that there's been an evolution in the North Korean uh, nuclear program and their thinking. Uh, initially, this is my view, I think they were very keen on uh, a peace treaty because as far as the North are concerned, they are still technically at war. That's right. Uh, since 1953, uh, there was, there's been an armistice, uh, there's a ceasefire, but they uh, do not believe that there is, uh, in fact, they're right, there is no peace treaty. And so what they're looking for is exactly what you say, a peace treaty which would legitimize their uh, regime, uh, legitimize their right to exist as a separate nation, all of that. That has never happened. So you're absolutely right. They began the, I, I would argue, the option of a nuclear weapon program to see whether they could use that as a leverage. Now, the U.S., never offered, as you very rightly pointed out, saying, look, we let's talk about a peace uh, treaty and, you know, let's formalize what we did not do in the 1950s. Uh, I think the North at that point of time may have been willing to trade its nuclear weapon option for a guarantee of its existence and security. But one significant element changed that, and that's Libya. Since uh, two, when Libya gave up its nuclear uh, program, 
And soon after that, uh, you know, the regime disappeared because of an external intervention. The writing on the wall uh, was very, very clear for the North Koreans. Yeah. They were now never going to give up their nuclear program. This is exactly now it's going to be further reinforced. Exactly. Looking at what Trump has said exactly. about the Iran nuclear deal and his Precisely. And wants to revisit that deal Precisely. is going to further convince the North Koreans that making a deal with the United States at this juncture or even in the foreseeable future is not going to work because you cannot take the United States word for granted, even though there are uh, agreements, written agreement to that effect. But going back to what the, the last thing you said in terms of, you know, I think I agree with you 100%. Iran, uh, North Korea today will never relinquish right. its nuclear weapon. Right. Now the question is, how do you mitigate the North Korean danger? Right. So th this is a very, uh, another very important juncture where we are at. Until now, uh, the U.S. policy has been one of non-proliferation to try either through diplomacy or uh, militarily, and there I would include sanctions as well, or maybe enforcement is the word to use, uh, to prevent countries from proliferating. They have almost no strategy to deal with a country once it has proliferated. Uh, I would argue that India is sui generis, because India in some ways is a, you know, an emerging power, regional power already, you know, seen as a global power. Uh, but the, this is the dilemma that they face in North Korea. The logical transition now would be to build up a deterrence relationship, which is basically to say, okay, you have nuclear weapons, we have nuclear weapons, thou shalt not use your nuclear weapons because then we will use them against you. Yeah, deterrence did work. I exactly. mean, deterrence worked during the Soviet Union-American confrontation for so many decades. Precisely. I think deterrence is working between India and Pakistan. Precisely. As, as we speak today. Precisely. Now, there comes a question now, yeah. uh, how do you solve the problem of North Korea if we were to assume mm -hmm. that North Korea would never give up its nuclear weapons? That is, how do you mitigate the danger? I think the same way that uh, the U.S. dealt with the Soviet Union and China. The problem is, and this is a big decline in my view for the U.S., that when you were dealing with uh, the Soviet Union or China, you were dealing with peers, not just nuclear peers, but in some ways powers, you know, which are members of the Security Council, mm -hmm. uh, emerging economies, etc. Now, you've been forced to deal, because your policies failed, with a fragile state. And okay, you have to deal small, with them right. as an equal. Exactly. Smaller state, fragile state, weak economically. Right. But let's, let's go back to the sort of uh, drawing you know, you know, map here. The assumption is North Korea will not give up nuclear weapon. We nevertheless need to remove the danger as such. My take on it is that there is a question of the ICBMs, that is their rapid development yeah. of intercontinental ballistic missiles, mm -hmm. and their drive toward miniaturizing a nuclear head. So I'm, you know, I wrote a piece on this, and I suggested that the United States, instead of trying to force the North Koreans, which they will not succeed, to give up their nuclear weapons, the negotiations now should focus on freezing possibly their development, recent development of the ICBMs, right. and 
preventing them from miniaturizing the uh, nuclear head to be placed on such ICBM missiles. And of course, they still don't have the technology, to my knowledge, uh, how to deal with re-entry. Correct. Uh, that's another issue. Right. That is, if they right. stop them today from developing this second and third phase right. of their nuclear program, right. that is taking away from them the deployment ability, right. that may, may well work. What's your, what's your take on that approach? That's actually, I, I, first of all, I, you know, there's a certain logic in that, in trying to, uh, you know, prevent the delivery systems. You know, I, I've been part of uh, UN panels on missiles, uh, you know, precisely looking at whether missiles are a blind spot or a blind alley. Mm -hmm. And they very much are a blind spot. The problem is that we at least have some regime, the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty, etc., to deal with the weapons part of it. There is no treaty, there is no agreement globally on missiles. Exactly. Iran is a perfect example. Precisely. Of that. And this is the problem. Yeah. Yeah. So on what grounds do you then try to engage with North Korea and say that you don't progress down this road and as long as you, you're going to allow yourself and other countries, not just Iran, but many others, uh, to carry on with their missile program. It creates a big uh, dilemma, you know, and, but, but also a contradiction. So unless you can particularly package a deal vis-a-vis -vis North Korea, and they're going to ask for the earth, uh, but I think it's still worth doing. I think it's I think, still I think you know, if if they were to if they were to retain their nuclear weapons, yeah. they would have to agree to re-enter to the NPT. That is, they'd have to be member of the Non-Proliferation Treaty, which means basically allowing international monitors from IEA to go and monitor in the future right. what right. is they are doing with their nuclear arsenal. Right. That is, that is in and of itself is a, still a tall order that has to be negotiated. But you are absolutely right when you suggest there is no regimen today to control the development of ICBMs. Right. Um, and I, I just feel this is one card that the yeah. United States can play and say, look, you want to have nuclear weapons to save face? Right. Okay, we will right. go along with that. Provided you agree to right. non-proliferation, you enter that, you allow a strict monitoring system going into the country. We, of course, we is a sanction, we do all of that. Right. And you have to stop your research and development of miniaturizing nuclear weapon to be placed to be on the head of these kind of missiles. I think my view, at least there is a room now begin to discuss to discuss this, giving the North Korean what they pretty much wanted. They wanted nuclear weapons, they would have it. Right. But you're right. preventing them from the uh, ability to deliver it. Right, right. And, and so, I mean, do you think, um, what, what's your, do you think in the United States at least would, should think in those terms at least? I, oh, definitely. Uh, and I'll just clarify that a little bit. I think in some ways the North already has the capability uh, to deliver these weapons within the immediate region. That's my, my sense and take on it. Even, even without the re-entry, it may pose some challenges. Well, I mean, they don't have, to my knowledge, they don't have a small enough nuclear weapon to be placed on, a, on such a missile, there are, even medium range yeah, for that matter. There, there, there are two views on that. I mean, one is that there, you know, there, um, 
they haven't got it yet. But the other is that they're probably very close to getting it. It could be close, but they can yeah. also deliver, if, if we're talking about medium range, right. say four or five hundred miles of or less, right. they can deliver it by plane. Exactly. By bomber. Exactly. And, for that matter, yeah, and it could yeah. be a one-way, yeah. yeah. you know, a one-way mission. A, yeah, suicide uh, mission. So yeah. that's, that's right. quite possible right. too. So there are, they do have some capability, but I think you're right that there are some cards that the U.S. can still play, uh, but it, it calls for diplomacy. There's no question. I don't think, I mean, I mean again, his belligerent narr narrative, right. Right. Uh, along, of course, with the, what's his name? The <laughs> I, all I remember is last name Un. Uh, uh, Kim Jong Un. Kim Jong Un. Jong -un. Kim Jong -un. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Kim Jong Un. Also, you know, as, as well as just as belligerent, right. uh, you know, in, in terms of his own narrative. Right. Uh, one, one dilemma in this context of trying to put, uh, you know, such an uh, agreement forward is the absence of regional support. Now, you know, although almost everybody thinks that the Iran deal is a bilateral Iranian-American deal, it's not. Uh, there were, you know, there were actually six parties involved. Of course, you know, yes. So it was yeah. six parties, you know, so P5 plus one plus Iran, right? Uh, in Northeast Asia, a similar deal would require China to be more proactive. I think China is absolutely indispensable. But I think also, I think there's overemphasis on how much China really can do. I think China can be extremely effective right. in, at the negotiating table. Right. But, they, but to rely on China to stop North Korea altogether, I think that's way exaggerated. China can be much more effective than the Chinese say they can and far less effective than the U.S. thinks it can. Uh, and I think Probably that's a, a correct estimate, but nevertheless, yeah. I think China by itself, that is relying on China exclusively to suggest... That the, no, that absolutely. Not gonna, that's not going to happen. Absolutely, but, but, but they have to be part of the mix. And there the yeah. problem is that uh, not just the U.S., even China is facing a major problem in engaging with its, uh, you know, renegade ally. There's almost no political interaction. And even within China now, the hawks are the ones who are deciding how to deal with North Korea. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I think this morning or yesterday, they went along with imposing significant yes. sanctions on yeah. transfer of money right. on the banks. Right. And, so and that's is, cru this, crucial. This that is, is crucial. really a very interesting right. development. Just right. happened, I think, yesterday or the day right. before yesterday. Right. But then, you know, talking about diplomacy, China is indispensable in joining with the United States in negotiating, not necessarily against North Korea, but as a partner yeah. in the negotiations in the search for a solution. What is Russia's role? can be or should be. Shouldn't be sitting at the negotiating table, given that right. basically it is also there. Right. Uh, well, you know, you did have the six-party talks. Yeah. And this was one of the big contributions that China made uh, yeah. through the process in trying to actually bring the six parties, but particularly North Korea, uh, to the table. Uh, now, unfortunately, China has uh, lost that leverage over North Korea, it would appear. And which is why, ever since this crisis began, China has been talking about diplomacy in general, but has not mentioned the word six-party talks at all. 
so I think that's the first step. But I think you're right. It would be very important to have uh, Russia there as well. Yeah. Uh, because, in, in, which is why you also had South Korea and Japan, although, you know, both of yeah. them were less relevant, less significant partners. But again, I would argue that the Iran deal is the template to follow. You need the five nuclear weapon states to be working together. So, which is the P5, along with perhaps one or two of the regional uh, actors uh, to work with North Korea. Except, you know, my feeling is that... Um Britain and France in particular, who are a member of the Security Council, right. and plus the Germany, who is not also was part of the negotiation Correct. with with Iran, right. uh, probably, in my view, they will not be as important as getting South Korea and Japan to be at the negotiating table. I mean, I want you right. to imagine the following North Korea, right. you have South Korea, you have Japan, you have China, and you have Russia, and you have the United States, five who can see... All of them, right. all of them would don't want to see North Korea have an active, going, ongoing nuclear program. program right. And they, right. so they have that common interest. Right. Britain and France are probably sort of this, in the distance. distance. I, I yeah. don't think North Korea yeah. are concerned yeah. or, or willing yeah. to sit down and negotiate unless yeah. you bring, if there was going to be a solution, right. then you kind of bring it to the United Nations Security Council where France right. and, and, and right. Britain, Britain will have a say in terms of ratifying such right. an agreement. Right. Yeah, yes and no. I mean, uh, I, I agree with you because if you look at it, uh, traditionally, the six-party talks did not include any of the Europeans. And the Europeans were involved and included in Iran because they were, uh, they were the first ones. Yeah. Yeah. They were the first ones to start right. that up. Right. And when that failed, that's when yeah. the US and Russia and China got involved. The reason I would say that it would be useful to have France, maybe even more importantly than England, uh, is number one, they're a member of the Security Council. So it becomes, it would facilitate any process through the Security Council. But secondly, the European Union, I'm, that's why I'm excluding the United Kingdom for a minute, uh, but France as a member of the European Union, and perhaps Germany, could then perhaps provide the kind of Marshall Plan or economic impetus that might hold North Korea to its promises. Let's not forget one of the reasons why the previous framework agreement, which was negotiated by Bob Gallucci, failed was because of the inability of the consortium to carry out the deal. Uh, they basically ran out of money. Uh, so right, this yeah. is one of the things that perhaps involving the Europeans... Actually, you know, that is, that is unlike just getting Britain and France because they are members of the Security Council, but given that Germany and France are the leaders today so perhaps, of the EU... Yes, EU yes, perhaps the EU. Yes. As a member of right. the EU, so they can represent right. the EU, one or the other. Right. I'm not sure Germany necessarily needs to be there. Right. But the France is a leading member of the EU nowadays. Uh, and a member of the Security uh, Council. member so of the Security works, yeah. Council. Yeah. It can represent the EU rather right. than right. as a member of the Security Council. Right. And I agree with you. Any deal is going to require significant economic program Absolutely. to allow the North Korean to start breathing. Now, whether that's going to reform the North Korean and change their direction in 5, 10, 15 years, we don't know that. Right. But I want to take it now. Let's go back to Iran. This deal with Iran is going to expire, say, in 
10 years, right. eight years left, or right. nine, seven years left. Right, right. And there's other restriction in terms of further development, enrichment of uranium for the following 10 years, uh, the development of a new generation of centrifuge. Is this part of this whole mix in this deal? But for all intent and purposes, Iran will be free to pursue basically a nuclear weapon program right. after 10 years once the deal expires. Right. Now, we have to start thinking today what to do in order to make sure that Iran does not resume its nuclear program the day right. the deal expires. Right. So what are some of these methods? I mean, I've been thinking in those terms, right. what can we do? Right. That is, can we in fact reform the Iranian thinking and make them think in terms of Right. How do you bring Iran as, to make it very active member of the international community and make sure that it's benefit a great deal and it does not have that need? You know, my concern is that and it's a, Iranian thinking is this: their ambition to in the region, of course, the ambition right. in the region. Today right. they are working very hard to establish permanent base in Syria. Right. They are they are actually manufacturing. They right. do, they have they start they build a manufacturing facility of weapons in Lebanon, do you believe it or not? Interesting. And as well as in Syria, yes. So they basically established what I've been right. talking about, uh, remember Crescent? For three, four, five years I've been saying Iran is after Crescent. establishing Crescent right. from the Gulf right. to the Mediterranean. And today, de facto, right. they are present right. and they have right. that and they're trying only to consolidate that. Right. Now, where do we do go from here? Two, two, two responses to that. And that's an excellent, excellent uh, uh, question. My own sense is, number one, that Iran basically wants to play a greater regional role. And that's why it actually was willing to trade the nuclear weapon option for that greater role. That's number one. This is my sense. I think that's why Iran was really quite interested in going ahead with the but deal. But when you say a greater role, basically by removing the sanctions, they had more money. Right. More money to play with. Right. And based on reports we are looking recently, mm -hmm. they have been investing more money on the National Guard, the Quds. Right. Right. They've been supporting and giving more money to extremist groups. Right. They've right. They've been spending more money in Libya. Right. Right. They've been all spending more money with Hezbollah. All as correct. Well in Syria. All, all correct. So, so yeah. when you say playing yeah. a bigger role, well, well, it's a negative role right. to play, well, not a positive one. Well, but, but there are two ways to play yeah. it, right? So if you are not part of uh, any kind of regional arrangement, if the GCC, Gulf Cooperation countries, are aligned against you, right? Uh, if Israel, which at one point, you know, worked with Iran, is now also against you. If the US, you know, is ambivalent or was under Obama about, you know, trying to give Iran a, a greater role, then you'll try and follow the military option. So this brings me to the second point, right? If in some ways Iran feels its interests in the region are uh, secure, either through diplomacy or by building factories in Lebanon, right? they may still not feel the need to go for nuclear weapons. And I'll tell you why. The problem is there has been a dramatic sort of slide in how nuclear weapons are being used. Nuclear weapons historically were only meant to be used against other nuclear weapons, nothing else. But over a period of time, many countries have tried to use the nuclear umbrella for subconventional conflict, 
Pakistan is a very good example of that, right? Now, the, the issue is that Iran needs to be convinced, and, you know, here Israel plays a role as the other, you know, undeclared nuclear weapon power in that region, that nuclear weapons are only for uh, response to nuclear weapons. They cannot be used to carry out other But this is also to intimidate. I mean, you know, if you do, I think yeah. from an Iranian perspective, yeah. this will help them in their in their ambition to become the region's hegemon, right? The the main power, right? Given, of course, there are more Shiites in that area than there are Sunnis combined, all of the cultures, right? And right. some, right? So they have that kind of ambition. For them, I think having a nuclear weapon, they have concern over Pakistan, right? They have concern over what's going on going in Afghanistan. So they and are Israel. not in exactly, and, and they have yeah. Israel yeah. who is a nuclear power, right. and right. they want to neutralize. Right. Right. So, so I, I, yeah. I take an issue when you say that they may not have the need for it because they still right. feel a vulnerable on the one hand because of their neighborhood, right? I agree. Two, two I agree. because of their desire to become the region hegemon, right. And right. in so doing, if they have a nuclear weapon, they'll be able to intimidate right. smaller countries right. in the region. And the third is to neutralizing Israel nuclear. Uh, well, this is uh, well, this is yeah. the, the this is the nuclear to nuclear part. But but I'll pose a counter question to you: How do you uh, try and accommodate Iran in that region without them being a hegemon? And this is the problem. You see, because when they go for that, have, has anybody spoken to them? I mean, for example, let, let, let's look at other instances, right? Let's look at Europe. A good example, right? We had, you know, for centuries, France and Germany, you know, France and the United Kingdom, until you had the Franco-German uh, coal and steel alliance, right? The question I'm asking is that is the rest of the region even willing to accommodate Iran in any sort of way in the region? And this would be part of a negotiation saying, look, I know you have, uh, you know, hegemonic intentions. We don't like them, but we're willing to accommodate you. But today... But when you say accommodating, meaning what? That's the whole issue here. Iran, Iran clearly Iran. has interests in that region. Clearly. Well, right? but you have also Saudi Arabia. Exactly. So how... And this is... As you how know, do you reconcile Precisely. The that this is, is the issue. And this has been the historical problem. Iraq is now out of the equation, right? But this has been the problem. And how do you reconcile... And the minute... How... I think the space that we now have for given by the nuclear deal is the opportunity, and that's why diplomacy is so important, to work out what kind of a reconciliation you can bring about between these two major powers. It's not going to be neat, it's not going to be perfect, but that is the only way that you're going to prevent. And that should be absolutely part Indeed. and parcel Indeed. of the preparation now. For the day when it, the day comes Precisely. when the deal expires, Precisely. and you're going to have to take all these half a dozen steps, more than that, absolutely. One of which is reconciliation between Saudi Arabia and Iran to mitigate the Sunni-Shiite conflict, absolutely. Ending the conflict in, in in Yemen, absolutely, and making sure to prevent Iran actually from really striking deep root, deep foundation, both in Syria and Lebanon. And that's going to be, I agree with this, going to yeah. be as, as tough as you can imagine. Right. But then, would, what would be the advantage to Iran a if they were to sit and negotiate on these issues? Right. Well, well you, you know, this is, this is where you, you will play a very important role. Uh, I, I would argue, given all of your work on that, 
I think for Iran, the the advantage would be, so, so there's two ways that Iran may look at it, right? Iran may look at it to say, look, all these regimes around us are on the verge of collapse. And we just have to bide our time and we'll become the normal hegemon. This may be one, one thing, thought process, one approach. The other is, and here this is, you know, this promise that if reforms occur, particularly in Saudi Arabia, which we're now starting to see very small uh, ideas of, then you may see that, you know, Iran may reconsider and say, look, these regimes are not going anywhere. So we, we might be better off trying to reach some kind of a, you know, modus vivendi rather than trying to do the hegemonic approach, which is simply not going to work. It's not going to work. I think, I think right. in the final analysis that I always, in, in the search for resolution to any conflict, I first try to establish in my head what are facts that you cannot change. They cannot get rid of Saudi Arabia. Right. They cannot get rid even of the smaller state in the region. Right. They can't get rid of geography. Yeah. 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 So that's a fact they'll have to right. accept. And I think I concur, as a matter of fact, when President Obama said um, like a year or so before he left office, that Iran, that Iran and Saudi Arabia must learn to share the neighborhood. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And sharing Absolutely. the neighborhood is not right. let's live and let live, but they start to begin to right. have to begin to, to cooperate right. together. Right. Right. I want to interject another player. Uh, we haven't been talking about Turkey's role as, as a nuclear power. Right. But Turkey is a member of NATO, so they right. have different kind of consideration. Right. To what extent, given Erdogan's behavior today, well, he's, he's, uh, he's crazy. <laughs> Let me put this wide <laughs> open in the air. Right. <laughs> open end. And uh, he's also has this ambition to become the leader of the Sunni right. Muslim world, you right. know? Right. Do you think uh, at one point or another he's going to try to see, I mean, what, he's looking at the Iran situation with some trepidation. He doesn't know what's going to happen. Right. He's not, uh, hasn't been able to gauge what will be the repercussion if and, right. and on Turkey should North Korea proceed with that. Do you have any insight as to what you think Turkey is going to do? <laughs> well, 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 this is the this is a bit you know a bit beyond, but 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 I'll I'll, I'll take a stab at it. Uh, you know, first of all, I I would slightly uh, differ on your characterization of Erdogan in the sense that I think you know. Uh, it, he's more of the imperial kind, and the problem with the imperial well, kind is definitely the problem with the imperial kind is that it ends only two ways. You know, you either lose your mind and you lose your head. He, he did both, and, 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 <laughs> and he's likely to lose his head because he's also very populist, and populists, as we know, don't last. Uh, there's only that much the population is willing to take you along. So unless there are a fundamental, you know, sort of support within Turkey for the Erdogan agenda. Uh, and, you know, the coup was a very interesting, uh, uh, you know, I, I mean, uh, all, as much as I would condone that, right, uh, was an indication of the limitations of his approach. And so I think at some point, sooner or later, Erdogan is uh, not going to be on the scene. And again, we need to think about... Well, I, I hope so. I certainly hope so. <laughs> because, but, uh, because I think the fundamentals uh, in Turkey, uh, in my opinion again, 
are very different than a classic dictatorship in other, uh, you know, yeah. uh, other parts of the world that we know. But there were, my, to my knowledge, there was some discussion between Turkey and Iran. I mean, they really don't see eye to eye. Right. At least right. from a religious perspective. Right, right. But they never actually also had any serious conflict, any no-violent conflict going back four centuries, you know, during the Ottoman period. Iran and the Ottomans actually never had any right. major conflict. You, you know that, right? Right. So, so, but it seems to me that Erdogan, um, his ambition, that's the only reason I bring uh, right. Turkey into, right. the, into the picture. Right. He's got this ambition, big, huge, he's imperialist. Yes. Just like yes. exactly what yeah. you said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wants to restore the aura yeah. of the Ottoman right. Empire, right. Right. Which, right. Is, which is insane. Um, but can, would he be the spoiler? That's my concern. He's can, he could be the spoiler here. It's it, it's a fair concern because I've heard uh, Turkish diplomats also saying, you know, we're a Sunni country, and yeah. we need to, you know, and so this idea of the kind of light Islamic uh, model, you know, uh, populist Islamic model, is something we want to export to Egypt, etc. And they tried. Oh, which, they, which, didn't, which didn't, of course which didn't work yeah. that well. Yeah. Uh, but you, you know, but clearly that there. But I, but I think the fundamental question is going to be, and and this is where it's very interesting vis-a-vis Turkey. Turkey was able to do all of this because it undertook major economic reforms in an effort to join the European Union. Now, as it moves away from that and these reforms start to falter, its capability and capacity to do more is it's been likely diminishing. to reduce is likely to reduce it is it is diminishing there's no question i think i think today erdogan position is tenuous it's becoming increasingly tenuous right uh, right and, and and the writing is on the wall there's right. no question right. i am puzzled right i'm puzzled i just i mentioned to you i wrote a, a open letter you know because i'm really puzzled why why a person who has achieved so much in the first seven, eight years of his right. as a prime minister with a significant reform that he undertook, why did he decide to change direction? It's an imperial overreach. It's, it's, it's an imperial overreach. And that's, and that's just sad. It's yeah. sad for the Turkish people. Yeah. But I'm not sure there's going to have any necessarily implication about this whole nuclear... I, I, yeah, uh, I, 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 yeah. I think Turkey yeah. in that sense is much easier to manage. Uh, there, you know, Erdogan is doing interesting things by reaching out to the Russians as well. He's now bought equipment mm. from there, even though he's a NATO member. That's right. Uh, but I think Turkey, where it is at the moment, a containment strategy uh, might be much easier to to do uh, and and deal with. The danger, of course, is if there are other uh, you know proliferation chains which we don't know about, like the AQ Khan one which if they're around and Turkey has access to those, then then that could be a problem because then it could create or build up a breakout capacity. Yeah, yeah. Let me, let me I agree. Let me go back to North Korea because that's, and perhaps this I would try to formalize. Let's suppose you're sitting uh, at the negotiating table with North Korea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, I like, and we and I agree that they will not give up their nuclear weapons, at least at this juncture, mm-hmm. perhaps part and parcel of a much larger denuclearization mm-hmm. that will involve more than just North Korea. It could maybe Pakistan, maybe India, maybe mm-hmm. other powers. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least there are talk about denuclearization. 
But that's come somewhere in the very distant future for that matter. Now, what are the conditions under which they would freeze their ICBM's research and development, and they would freeze their research development of miniaturizing a nuclear warhead? What do they want to return? And I, I just want to reiterate some of the things you said, that we earlier said. A, they would probably would not agree to anything less than having a comprehensive peace treaty. Do you, do you, do you agree? Absolutely. Do you that? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I, 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 think, I think that's going to be a, a very fundamental part, of, uh, part yeah. of that negotiation. And not just that, I think they would also want very strong security guarantees. Uh, how those security guarantees will be provided and by whom uh, will, will need to be worked out. And this is where I think the, both the role of Russia and but particularly China might China. be important. I think, yeah, I think China um, and Russia could probably provide that kind of quote-unquote guarantees. Right. Because the U.S. word will not be taken, even if there is a written no, treaty, no, it will not no, be, no. It, particularly as you rightly yeah, said, yeah, given yeah, what the thinking yeah, is now on Iran. Yeah. So the North uh, would certainly look for other guarantors who they trust. Problem is, at the moment, they trust no one, not even the Chinese. No, they don't trust anyone. <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the context of peace, shouldn't, of course, South Korea will have to be part of that process. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about reunification of the peninsula. This is something right. It's still, is, a, yeah. still a dream, I think. Yeah. It's not going to happen any easier. Who's yeah. going to relinquish power there? Yeah. Will the ever North Korea become a democratic country? That's right. a very tough order. Right. But you also have Japan. Right. Japan will have to be part and parcel of any kind of peace right. agreement. Right. So you have the United States, you have North, South Korea, and Japan, and of course you're going to have to have Russia. Russia. Uh, Six-party talks. Russia yeah, basically. And yeah. China. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to also, we're talking about France. Yeah. As a France to represent the EU, we also is at the negotiating table. Right. And I think getting guarantees of sort from the EU as, right. a, as a, a whole continent, right. that could seriously resonate in the mind of the, of the, of the North Korean, that they will feel far more secure that they have these major powers. Right. Uh, you know, securing yeah, or ensuring yeah, their security. Yeah. Yes, they may go yeah. for that. Yeah, do you? Well, I know, and again, that's. I, I, I hope right. we are not talking about pipe dreams, but I really, honestly, don't see any other alternative. I, I totally agree with you. Uh, but but even that alternative would require diplomacy of the kind that we simply have not seen. Yeah, it would require a level of trust. Uh, that we have simply not seen. And here again, I think the Iranian case is a very, very important one. Critically important. Uh, you, you know, yeah. just tell you, I mean, and I know you've, you've uh, uh, you know, written so much on this. The pre-negotiations, you know, uh, on the Iranian deal in Oman in particular, the kind of role that Oman played was vital. It was very so, important. So, you know, to establish a level of trust. Precisely. Without which... There would have been no Right. So the question that I have in mind is, yeah. uh, you know, who's going to play the Oman for Northeast Asia? Now, we know, you know, Switzerland and Sweden have actually offered to do that. And as, I don't know whether you know, Kim Jong-un actually studied in Switzerland. Yeah, he uh, was there. Yeah. And, and in fact, when I was uh, working at a, at a Swiss uh, training institute, 
we actually had my course had the first two North Koreans really? uh, come <laughs> on that course, <laughs> and, right. and and uh, the one thing that they were consistent about, the only question they asked was, if Gaddafi had not given his nu- up his nuclear capability, would he be alive today? That was the only question they asked. So they got the message. But the point I'm making is, we need a very important critical interlocutor who's going to try and facilitate this process of the six-party talk, uh, plus the EU, if you like. So six plus one or some variation thereof. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, China has uh, pulled back out of that role. So I think it's going to fall on one of the Europeans, maybe Switzerland. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, China, of course, has a vested interest in, in the process right, right. and as well as the outcome. I mean, they are the first to be affected by it. Certainly, they do not want to see a failed regime in North Korea because they'll have, they'll have to suffer the repercussions of that. Not refugees and on and of course, on and on. Of course. So, so the six or seven parties are going to be really, and I agree with you, critical. Right. In sitting at the negotiating right. table, right. peace will have to be the objective. Right. Uh, freezing. Uh, some future uh, capabilities. Future capabilities. Correct. Correct. Nice That's right. That's right. Um, and, yeah. and I think if the United States is to approach it this way, maybe we stand a chance. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and I think, again, just to come back to the parallel with the Iran deal, right? The role of the interlocutor, how should I put it? The selfless role of the interlocutor would be vital. Oman is not part of the deal. And yet Oman understood that without those free negotiations, there would have been no deal. The question that comes to my mind is, again, which is the country which would be willing to be that selfless? Well, it's got to be a country that A, North Korea more or less trusts. Right. Right. Can we try to identify such an animal? It it could have been it, it, it could have been Malaysia, but uh, they yeah. burnt their bridges there. You know, no. they, I mean, when they assassinated, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. Malaysia uh, probably is, you know, is, 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 is happened. Yeah, no, no, they're they're. they're so, uh, so who who is in Asia could be, is a kind of. But how about India? Uh, in India, I think uh, probably not. You know, India has carried out quite a few. Uh, inspections of North Korean ships, uh, which were uh, so they don't have the relationship is is, is, right. is not that. But and yeah. India, I, I think, and, and I think you don't need a very big country. Yeah. You need a small, discreet yeah. country. Oman comes again. I, I'm drawing that. But doesn't have to be necessarily from in Asia. Absolutely, no, Switzerland I, is yeah. the one that yeah, comes to my mind. Yeah, or yeah. Singapore. Uh, Singapore is an interesting idea. Yeah, because you know yeah. they are very much yeah. now at the crossroads. Yeah. Yeah of these, you know, different players. Yeah. They're very close to the Chinese. They're, of course, they're, I mean, they follow the Chinese very closely. Yeah. They're close to the U.S., yeah. uh, the ASEAN, yeah. they know Japan, you know, so they somebody like that. Again, Indonesia would not. They're too big a country. You need it's, a yeah. very small country which can do this discreetly. Yeah, I think I think the North Korean would be looking at some, someone who they can trust, no question, has good relationship, with all the parties, right. it's not not in you know all of them are going to be at the negotiating table, and they should be begin the process by inviting by starting the conversation. Absolutely, in a building a trust. I mean, the building a trust. You know, I've been preaching the gospel of building a trust forever. <laughs> I call it reconciliation process right. that precedes right. any kind of negotiation that could lead to, hopefully to some kind of. Um, so you know, I agree. We have to rule 
the military option. And the military option is disaster. And and that's the round we need to go. Yeah. Anything you would like to to you know uh, <laughs> well, add to this? I, I would actually say you know just bringing it back because we began with uh, Donald T Trump's speech, and I think the people who recognize, uh, particularly in the U.S., that there is no military solution, are actually the military men. Uh -huh. uh, everybody, each and every one of them, has actually been pushing for a negotiation a negotiated process to deal, or diplomacy, yeah. to deal with North Korea. Yeah. I, I just hope President Trump listens to them. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you would think it's four generals, uh, <laughs> chief of staff, <laughs> secretary of defense, um, of course, um, the national security, security advisor, advisor and the joint chief. That's right. Yeah, I have these four significant generals, and he's still talk the talk, the way he addresses security, the General Assembly was just shameful. <laughs> but let's, on a positive note, let's hope that negotiation uh, will commence sometime and avoid a catastrophe. I thank you so thank much. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. This I was, think it was great on your part. Too. This was fun. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode on the issues. You can find this podcast on my SoundCloud page and stay tuned to my social media accounts for the latest analysis and announcements.